Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. You might not realize this, but the God of the Bible is the only God who is declared to be love in his very nature. He's the only God that has revealed himself as love. So any ideas of a God of love out in the broader religious world, any ideas of a God of love, know this, they've been borrowed from Christianity. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of John. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on John chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, in a message titled, For God So Loved the World. Now, here's Pastor Brian. As we pick up John's telling of the story of Jesus, we are right at the place where Jesus is answering the question of Nicodemus. How can someone be born again? Or how can one enter a second time into his mother's womb? So Jesus is talking about something spiritual. And Nicodemus, even though he is a spiritual leader, he's not really getting it. He's just thinking in natural terms. Remember, Nicodemus is a teacher of Israel. Jesus refers to him that way. And the significant thing here to keep in mind is that he is coming to Jesus looking for answers to the deep questions about life and God that his faithful religious devotion had not been able to answer for him. You know, there is such a profound difference in being religious and being born again. And I think sometimes we can almost lose that because even, you know, the terms born again have been used so often and in so many contexts and applied to so many people. It's, it's sort of like the, the term Christian itself. It's almost like, what does that even mean these days? Everybody's a Christian. And the, the same is true with born again. But we cannot lose a sight of, of how radically different this experience is that Jesus is talking about. And Nicodemus is sort of, He's just the embodiment of the difference because he is, as was previously said, he is an example of the best Israel had to offer. He's a Pharisee. He's not a hypocritical Pharisee. 
He's a sincere Pharisee. He's a good man. He's a righteous person. But yet he knows deep down that all his religious zeal and good deeds are not enough. He's still looking for something more. And so that is the reason that he comes to Jesus. Teacher, we know that you have come from God. So he he could see that there was something extraordinary about Jesus. Jesus had told him that the answer to his longing is a new birth. You must be born again. A new birth, a spiritual birth, a birth from above. The word again, the Greek word that's translated again, can also be translated from above. And so it actually means really kind of both things. It is born again, it's, it's a new birth, but it's a, but it's a birth that is from above. It's a spiritual birth. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So this teaching on the necessity of the new birth is the basis for what John said at the beginning of this gospel about those receiving Jesus and becoming children of God. Remember what he said? He said, they are those born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. So Nicodemus is looking for something deeper than his religion has been able to provide for him. Jesus says, you must be born again. Nicodemus says, how can this be? And so verse 14 is the answer to the question of Nicodemus. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, this this must have been mind-boggling to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, as a ruler, as a teacher of Israel, he would have, of course, known this story. But I doubt that Nicodemus would have had any idea of the implications of the story. As a matter of fact, in the Jewish literature, this story back in Numbers chapter 21, this story is, it's, it's an enigma to the Jewish writers. They, they don't really even know what to make of it. I mean, it's, it's a historical thing. It happened. It's a strange thing. But they didn't really have any interpretation of what this story was really about. As I said, the story is found in Numbers 21. I'm going to read it to us real quick. It's short. It's only five verses. Numbers 21, verses 
4 through 9. Here's what it says. They traveled, the people of Israel, from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and he put it upon a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. End of the story. So Nicodemus, all these centuries later, is perplexed by the words of Jesus, you must be born again. He says, how is this even possible? And Jesus refers to this story. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, you see the bronze snake was a picture of the Son of Man bearing in himself the punishment for sin so all who believe in him might be forgiven and have life. And that's what Jesus said. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So Jesus is answering the question, How is one born again? How is one born anew? How is one born from above? Now, as we come to verse 16, there is a debate among scholars as to whether verses 16 through 21 are a continuation of the answer of Jesus to Nicodemus or John's commentary on what has been said. Now, if you have a black letter edition of the Bible, there's no red letters, in other words. You'll just read this passage through and there's no indication one way or the other except within the text itself when one voice is changing to another. If you have a red-letter version, your red-letter version, depending upon which version it is, the red letters might stop at verse 15 and then transition to black letters at verse 16. That's what my Bible here does, the NIV. So the publishers of the NIV have decided that Jesus finished speaking in verse 15 and John began then a commentary in verse 16. It is possible that that is the case. But, you know, it doesn't really matter either way because, of course, 
if John is commenting as an apostle, what he's saying is just as authoritative as what Jesus has said. We believe that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture is God-breathed. So if John 3.16 is the words of John the apostle instead of Jesus, it doesn't really matter. But I think that we'll just consider them to be the words of Jesus. They, they very well could be. But the reason why there's a debate is because verses 16 through 21 seem to be speaking of the cross in the past tense, which is difficult to understand how Jesus would have done that at the time that he was speaking to Nicodemus. And it's not difficult to understand how John would have done it at the time of writing the gospel. So again, it's, it's not a big deal. I only bring it up because maybe you have a Bible where suddenly the red letters have stopped and now you've cut black letters and you're wondering, wait, what is going on here? No need to be alarmed either way. But we're, we'll just take it as carrying on the words of Jesus. But John 3.16 is perhaps the most well-known and oft-quoted passage in the Bible. And there's a good reason for it. John 3.16 is, as has been said, it's a gospel in miniature. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the gospel in a nutshell, if you will. But let's look for a moment at the 16th verse. And focusing on God so loved. God so loved. Now we hear about God loving God having loved, God being a God of love. We hear about that so frequently that it's easy to lose sight of how profound it really is. And you might not realize this, but the God of the Bible is the only God who is declared to be love in his very nature. He's the only God that has revealed himself as love. So any ideas of a God of love out in the broader religious world, any ideas of a God of love, know this, they've been borrowed from Christianity. They've been borrowed from the biblical revelation because they are not part of the revelation of these other religions. So this is unique to the Christian revelation, or we could say the Judeo-Christian revelation. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, we read, The Lord, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in love and faithfulness, 
keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. And this is just one of many Old Testament passages that you could point to that speak about the love of God. The New Testament, of course, we're here, we're looking at this great verse, for God so loved the world. But it's John who also tells us in his first letter, he tells us that God is love. And this is an important point to understand. God loved, we say God is a loving God, but the statement of John goes even deeper than that because John says God is love. Meaning that in his very nature, just like God is eternal, just like God is holy, just like God is uh, all-powerful or everywhere present or all-knowing, those are attributes of God that he alone possesses, so it is that God is love. And that cannot be said of anyone else. We might think of a person as a loving person. Of course, there are many that we could identify that way. But we would never say about them that they are love. But God is love. So that is the revelation. For God so loved the world, he so loved the world, because that is his very nature. But that brings us to the second point, God's love for the world the Jewish people were ready enough to think of God as loving Israel. But no passage appears to be cited in which any Jewish writer maintains that God loved the world. So again, like I was saying a moment ago about the perplexity among the Jewish scholars regarding the the serpent in the wilderness, So likewise, when you search through the writings of the Jewish scholars and their commentary on scripture and so forth, you're not going to find among them the idea that God loves the world, that God loves the Ammonites or the Midianites or the Philistines or any of those people groups that were seen as the the perennial enemies of Israel. Or closer to the New Testament period, none of the rabbis were talking about God's love for the Romans. Their thinking was the absolute opposite. But here Jesus says, for God so loved the world. God loving the world is, again, a distinctively Christian idea. The idea that God's love is wide enough to embrace all mankind. His love is not confined to any racial or national group or to any spiritual elitist group. His love is for the whole world. Now, there's even some Christians who have a problem with this statement. Some hold a theology that denies that God loves the whole world collectively. They would 
add to the statement that God loves the world of the elect. But the passage clearly says that God loves the world, meaning the multitudes of sinful people. But not the world in just a a collective sense or not just in, in the sense of the masses, but each person individually. When Jesus says, we're going with Jesus having said this, when Jesus says, for God so loved the world, he's talking about everybody. But he's talking about everybody also in an individual sense. The rich, the poor, the learned, the unlearned, the extraordinary, the common, the weak, the strong, the good, the bad. God loves people. He loves all people. And it's because he loves all people that he sent his one and only son into the world. And this is the the great demonstration of God's love. You see, there are those other religions, perhaps, that would speak about a God of love, but it's the biblical faith that has a picture of the God of love. It's the biblical faith that doesn't simply tell us that that God loved the world. There's a demonstration for us of that love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Or as Paul put it in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he said that God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paul's just riffing off of John 3.16 here. But this is the demonstration. This is how John would later say in his uh, epistle, his first epistle, this is how we know love. We know love because God gave his one and only son. So this is how we know the love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, and that's a key word right there, whoever. Who is this love for? It's for all people. Who is this salvation for? It's for everyone. It's for whoever, whoever will. That's the invitation of scripture. Whoever will, let them come. I love at the end of the book of Revelation where it says there, sort of a a final call, the spirit and the bride say come and let whoever will come and drink of the water of life freely. God sends the invitation out to the entire world. Whoever, whoever believes in him. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. 
I know there are so many people that feel like they don't really understand sometimes even the basics of the Christian faith. And a classic book on the topic was written by John Stott, and the book is called Basic Christianity. And this is one of my favorite books because it beautifully and simply but profoundly lays out for us just exactly what the Christian faith is. So I read this book several times over. I read it many years ago. I try to read it every now and again. It's a great book, and I want to recommend it to you, Basic Christianity by John Stott. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Basic Christianity by John Stott. You can order the book Basic Christianity by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Basic Christianity by John Stott. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of John. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.